0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe
1: to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome everyone to the On Poly podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Ontario will enter the first stage of its reopening plan on Friday. And yes, that's earlier than expected. What will that mean for businesses and your weekend plans? We'll discuss that. Also, less than a year from today, Ontarians will be heading to the polls for the province's 43rd general election. As we've all learned recently, a lot can change in a year. Where do things stand now? Plus, the legislature has wrapped up for the summer and we'll take a look at some of the bills that passed that you might have missed. It's Tuesday, June the 8th, 2021, so let's get to it. Well, JMM, however your past weekend was, we can now say you'll have more options for the next one. The government announced on Monday that Ontario is going to enter stage one of its reopening plan on Friday, June 11th. That's several days earlier than initially planned. This is, I presume, unambiguously good news for a change. Uh, you know, the short version is that things are getting better faster
0: than anticipated, uh, driven by vaccinations and, uh, you know, some of these continuing public health measures. Uh, just as a for example, on Monday, Ontario reported uh, just 525 new cases of COVID-19. Uh, Mondays are usually low in our uh, case counts, but that is still the lowest number of new cases we've seen since September of last year. So you know, things are are moving well, uh, the province has also moved up its vaccination vaccination schedule uh, so that people over 70 uh, or those who got their first shots before April 18th uh, can start booking their second shots as of Monday. Uh, That is also substantially earlier than expected. You know, so the government clearly feels that, uh, you know, we as a province have got a a good wind in our sails for once and they are ready to start reopening a few days early. Uh, They had talked about uh, waiting until June 14th. So they're moving it up about three days uh, early so that, uh, you know, maybe people can have some drinks on a patio this weekend uh, if they can find a table.
1: Yeah, that sounds pretty good right now, actually. So let's nail this down. Stage one means what? in terms of what people will now be allowed to do? Uh, so uh, we discussed the, the whole three-stage
0: reopening plan, I believe, two or three weeks ago now. And um, people may remember, you know, stage one is still, you could fairly call it, Still very tightly controlled. Uh, most indoor activities are still uh, either prohibited or very tightly controlled. Uh, but a lot of outdoor activities start to become legal again. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, finding a patio somewhere, uh, dining and drinking outdoors uh, become legal. Uh, outdoor fitness classes, uh, outdoor religious services. Uh, outdoor pools and zoos, um, and campgrounds and overnight camping in provincial parks uh, are allowed. Uh, Day camps can open, but overnight summer camps cannot open
1: yet. Now, I'm asking this next question for a friend. There's no self-interest here at all, okay? I just (laughs) want to put that on the record. Are indoor haircuts allowed
0: yet? Uh, That comes in stage two, so uh, not yet, not as of Friday. (laughs) How
1: about outdoor haircuts? (laughs) Are you asking me to come over to your backyard with a set of clippers, Steve? (laughs) No, no. As I say, I'm asking for a friend. I'm not asking for myself. I mean, it's a coincidence I haven't had a haircut in four months, but really, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, Okay. How long will we be in stage one before we get to move on to stage two? The plan
0: as the government announced it uh, was that we would spend no less than 21 days uh, between stages, uh, giving plenty of time for the government to be confident that, you know, as we open up different parts of the economy, uh, you don't get a, a massive spike in new cases. Uh, but uh, if we're honest, I think the government is very likely to cut stage one at least a day or maybe two short uh, because. If you count forward 21 days from uh, June 11th, you get to July 2nd. And I think that Mm. there's going to be a lot of pressure, uh, both from the public and from uh, within the PC caucus, uh, to have us move into stage two on Canada Day itself.
1: Right. That makes sense. Well, the government wants at least 70% of people with their first dose and 20% with their second dose before moving on to stage two. Have we got those numbers right? Yes, that's exactly
0: right. Uh, we have already hit that 70% number, uh, by the way. And uh, actually, by the time this gets to our listeners ears, we uh, we should be about halfway to the second dose target. Uh, we were 9% as of Monday morning. Um, It is likely that we are going to hit both benchmarks by, uh, I would think the end of next week. So something like uh, Friday, June 18th, uh, if not the Saturday, um, which would mean that we would uh, be qualified for stage two with something like two weeks to spare, even if we did open a bit early. Uh, You know, there is still the possibility of some unpleasant surprise because covid has had lots of those for us over the last uh, year and a bit uh, but right now it is um it's pretty hard to find an indicator in ontario that is heading in the wrong direction uh, the one exception and i have mentioned it before on the podcast is um a, a pretty severe outbreak in uh, timmins and james bay and what's called the, the porcupine public health unit uh they continue to have uh in terms of um, per capita they have uh, really the most severe outbreak in the province right now uh, and uh, just before we started recording this i, I learned that uh, it looks like actually uh, the porcupine
1: phu will not enter stage one with the rest of the province hmm. interesting okay one last thing on this did you find it odd um, you know this is a good day did you find <laughs> it odd that such a big and apparently encouraging announcement the premier did not have a news conference none of his cabinet ministers went to a microphone on monday there there was there was nothing i mean it is pretty odd
0: <laughs> given how many bad news announcements uh the premier has had to make lately um this would be one of those times i would assume that uh cabinet ministers would be you know fighting each other to get to be in front of a microphone in front of a tv camera uh but yeah all we got was a uh, a press release and then um uh, some cabinet members tripping over themselves to tweet out the news
1: early on on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. OK, now w- what we're going to talk about next, I'm I'm going to go on record right now and promise our listeners we're not going to be doing this every week for the next 52 weeks. No. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I know there is a tendency among media to breathlessly report on every little nuance uh, and how it affects the upcoming election campaign for the year preceding the campaign. But we're not going to do it. But we do want to note this is a fairly significant anniversary on the calendar. We're a year away uh, from, I guess, finding out who's going to form the next government of Ontario. I, I, more than likely, because, of course, there's always the possibility of a of a hung parliament that could require negotiations as to who will form the next government. But basically, we're T minus one year in counting until the 43rd general election. So where do things stand now?
0: You know, in the last few weeks, we have seen uh, three horse race polls of Ontario politics from three different pollsters, uh, in this case, uh, Leger, Main Street and Campaign Research. And uh, they all show more or less the same picture. Their results uh, agree pretty closely. Uh, The Tories are ahead in the polls, but bouncing around in, I guess you'd call it like the low to mid 30s, between 33 and 36%. Worth noting here that these are different pollsters than the ones who back in April showed the Liberals in the lead uh, after uh, people probably recall uh, Premier Ford's really um, disastrous week early that month. You know, I think it's still fair to say that uh, based on these polls, the PCs look down from where they were uh, before uh, (laughs) that very bad week in April. But, uh, you know, still ahead of uh, the other two, or the other three parties, rather.
1: Now, let's ask about them. The NDP or the official opposition, have they been able to chip away at any of the government support? They don't seem to have yet. Uh, the
0: NDP have been very stable for months now, which is both you know a plus and a minus. Uh, they seem to be bouncing around in the mid-20s. Uh, not a ton that's new there. Uh, they don't seem to be making uh, major inroads against uh, the government, against the progressive conservatives, but they also Don't seem to be losing uh, support either to uh, the tories or to uh, the liberals or greens either
1: well i suppose it's worth mentioning that the ndp is rarely the place where people park their votes between elections they are at where they usually are between campaigns Um, but when they do well it's because they've usually caught fire during a campaign all of which is to say it wouldn't surprise me if there's very little dynamism in the ndp vote over the next 11 months and we do have to remember that a few weeks ago, pollster Greg Lyle from the Innovative Research Group was on the podcast, and he said one of the challenges for the Ontario Liberals is that people have no idea who their leader is. <laughs> and we're actually going to have some of our own polling on that in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned, come back, revisit us for that. Uh, but let's look at the third-place party at the moment. Where do the grits stand right now? Uh you know, we mentioned there's this, this
0: bunch of polls uh, that we saw in April that showed the Liberals uh, in the lead. Uh, these are different polls from different pollsters, and so uh, they really show the, uh, the Liberals basically neck and neck with the NDP, uh, again, bouncing around in those mid-20s. I wouldn't necessarily expect these numbers to change hugely in uh, the next month or the next three months. Uh, it's, you know, really gonna be the period in, uh, you know, A month to three months before the election where we might see some some really significant swings. Right. And how about Mike Schreiner and his Green Party? uh you know uh sort of a familiar story here uh, for now uh <laughs> never less than five percent and never more than ten um uh, regretfully for the greens i'm sure um you know th- it, there's some interesting stuff happening with the green party and I, I think we should definitely uh talk about getting some representatives on the podcast because you know they, they are uh recruiting new candidates and i know we've had them on the agenda as well uh they have the uh former environmental commissioner as a deputy leader now um some interesting stuff happening with the Green Party. It just doesn't seem to be uh, translating to uh, popular support in the polls yet.
1: Well, having said that, the, the one comment you always hear about Mike Schreiner, the leader, is that he always punches above his weight. Yes. And considering he's only one lonely member in that Ontario legislature, that's that's saying something. Now, the most important thing I think we need to remind people of, and we may do this more than once as well over the next year, <laughs> And that is, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, polls tell you what people thought yesterday. They are not predictive of what people will think tomorrow. So we've got a long way to go before the race truly crystallizes. Let's just remind everybody of that. Okay, JMM, you know, you do know, because we've talked about this before, how amusing I find political advertising, right? Uh, Is it like nails on a chalkboard for you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, nails on a chalkboard... Um, I think only halfway gets there, because <laughs> here's, okay, I, I, I'm not meaning to sound insulting here, but just some of the stuff that people in this province do to raise money for political parties sometimes, well, here's the latest e-blast from the chair of the PC Ontario Fund. His name's Tony Miele, and he writes the following. This is in an e-blast that goes out to whoever is interested in following Ontario PC Party politics. The Liberals left behind a legacy of 15 years of political corruption. Higher taxes and out of control hydro rates. It is a mess we are still cleaning up today. Can you imagine what would come from an NDP government? We're seeing that the NDP and liberals are starting to prepare for next year by launching attack ads and hosting virtual rallies. And we cannot just stand by. And of course, after that, they go, after my breathless and very dramatic rendering of that email blast, they go on to ask you for money. Now, a couple of things worth noting. First, the only party running attack ads right now are the provincial conservatives, who are attacking the federal government for not closing the borders tightly enough. You can have a debate about whether they are or whether they aren't, but facts are facts. And right now, the only ones running attack ads on TV during the hockey games, which I watch every night, (laughs) it's the PC party attacking Justin Trudeau. So that's number one. Second, and let me ask you this in the form of a question to you. One of the truisms in politics is... You got to know your enemy, right? It's not enough to know what you stand for. You got to know who you're going against. Who's your prime target? Does it look to you like the Tories know which one of their opponents is ultimately going to be their real enemy come election time?
0: Uh, you know, it reads to me, or, or rather, uh, I, I take from your uh, extraordinary uh, retelling of that email. Um, Thank you, sir. Shakespearean
1: that... in my performance, would
0: you say? <laughs> um... You know, it reads to me like the Tories are, uh, they're at least entertaining the idea that the NDP could remain their uh, primary opposition in the next election. And I think um, some of the commentary about the election uh, coming next year almost treat it as a given that uh, things will return to the mean in Ontario, that the Liberals will uh, become the sort of uh, uh, default uh, uh, party for uh, people who want to to unseat the Tories. but if you take this uh, email sort of at face value and maybe we shouldn't um, <laughs> you know the the Tories seem to at least be uh, uh, entertaining the idea that they may end up having to go hardest against the NDP um, you know I, I think the uh, warning that nothing is really settled a year out from an election is still a good one to remember here um, I mean in your point about the uh, attack ads against the federal government, I mean, It's almost novel at this point for the progressive conservatives to attack a party that is actually going to be running in the next election because, (laughs) you know, whatever one thinks about Justin Trudeau, uh, I am... 99% 99% certain he is not going to be running to be an MPP next year, one way or another. So maybe not the best use of campaign
1: dollars. <laughs> you're, you're only saying 99% sure, eh? You're just holding out the, you sound like that guy from Dumb and Dumber. So, <laughs> so I've, I've still got a chance. So you're saying I've got a chance. You know, 2018 <laughs> not, and 2020 were both really weird years. <laughs> yeah, you got a point there. You got a point there. I just, uh, let me add, you know, another 30 seconds on this, which is to say, you really do in politics have to know who you're running against. you got to know who your enemy is. Because I re- well remember in 1990, uh, there was a massive liberal majority government at Queen's Park, and they were so certain that the third place conservatives were actually going to be their opponents that they took out a, a, you know, a huge chunk of ads in the first part of that election campaign, you know, demonizing the Tories. And what they didn't realize was the public wasn't going to put the Tories back in. They just kicked the Tories out five years earlier. The party they should have been going up against was the NDP. They didn't, and the NDP just very, very quietly snuck up the middle while the Liberals were taking ads out, excoriating the Tories. Bob Ray's NDP went right up the middle and ended up winning on Election Day. And by the time the Liberals figured out, oh, darn, we should have been taking out ads against the NDP. (laughs) Election over, majority government for Bob Ray. So this... That's why it's important. Anyway, my two cents on that.
0: No, and I mean we saw something similar, uh, slightly different in, in 2018, where um, you know every time the liberals hammered away at Doug Ford, uh, the main effect was that the NDP's numbers increased. Right? Uh, you know, if you, voters were not going to reelect the Liberals in 2018, one way or another, and so that was in part why you saw uh, Kathleen Wynne's campaign. Uh, basically pivot towards attacking the NDP because attacking Doug Ford simply was not helping
1: liberal fortunes at all. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. All right. Let's also remind people that the legislature has now wrapped up for the season. The MPPs go on their summer break. Even though COVID has become, and rightfully so, the focus of a lot of the reporting at Queen's Park, there were actually other bills that were passed this year and that are going to make, um, you know, a splash in people's lives. So let's, um, I'm gonna have you take us through some of uh, the highlights, the ones that are gonna have the most impact on people, and let's start with highways. What can you tell us on that? Minister of
0: Transportation, Carolyn Mulroney, introduced a bill, uh, the Moving Ontarians More Safely Act, or I suspect we're expected to read it as the Moms Act. Um, (laughs) And it does a a, a few main things uh, in the area of sort of road safety and uh, transportation in general. Uh, There is uh, language in there about uh, increasing penalties for stunt racing and um, adopting new rules for uh, electric bicycles. And... um, one of the big things that it does uh, is really overhaul the rules for the towing industry. Uh, I don't know how closely our listeners have been following the issues of the tow truck industry, but especially in the GTA, there's been some really incredible reporting and some very um, eye-opening investigations uh, in terms of you know corruption and violence even in the tow truck industry. So uh, the government is, is pretty clearly trying to uh, tackle that with a big new law.
1: Hmm. Now... Frequent listeners to this podcast will know (laughs) that I occasionally like to tease my co-host about what he does at two o'clock in the morning, which usually involves reading the Planning Act. So I raise this next issue because this one's right in your wheelhouse, McGrath, because it does include changes to the Planning Act. (laughs) And it was brought in by the red tape production minister, Prabhmeet Sarkaria, and it's called the Supporting Recovery and Competitiveness Act. What's the 411 there? Uh, Well, with a a bill given that kind of a generic
0: name, you know that it could Touch almost anything. And uh, this one almost does. It's uh, more than 20 different schedules in the bill. And I I really hate to disappoint our eager listeners, but the stuff about the Planning Act is so arcane. Even I haven't been able to quite parse it all out. And I'm not going to try and do that uh, live on a hot mic. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, in some ways it's, it's the kind of normal piece of legislation you would see in any other time, like in pre-COVID times. It's, uh, you know, certainly I can remember liberal, uh, bills that were, uh, about, you know, uh, business friendly changes to regulation that just touched all sorts of things. It is what you would call an omnibus, omnibus bill, pardon me. Uh, you know, it, it does, uh, change so many different, uh, bills, but, you know, I would say there's, um, you know, there's the business friendly stuff. There is some COVID response in there, some uh, changes to legislation that, you know, cause so much has changed and so much in government has had to change because of COVID. Um, and then there's some very sort of technical bookkeeping stuff that, like, <laughs> like the Planning Act stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is um, not exactly the most um, uh, enthralling piece of legislation we've seen uh, since COVID started, uh, but you know there are lots of bits and pieces in there that for businesses all over
1: the province uh, could end up being very important. Now, some bills got passed in this past session, and some other bills got just newly introduced right before the legislature wrapped up. Anything we should have our eye on when the MPPs come back in September? Well, you do know how we love our independent officers of the legislature on this podcast. Oh, yes, indeed, I do. The Auditor General, the Financial Accountability Officer, the Ombudsman. We can't get enough of them here, (laughs) JMM. Uh, So Liberal MPP John Fraser has uh, introduced
0: a bill to add someone to their number, uh, the patient ombudsman. Uh, Listeners may remember that Christine Elliott was the province's first patient ombudsman for a time uh, before she returned to electoral politics in 2018. And uh, when the Liberal government of Kathleen Wynne created that position, uh, they expressly decided not to make it an officer of the legislature uh, the way the auditor Ombudsman and FAO are the the, the distinction here is basically that the government can, uh, can the, the government cannot fire uh, an officer of the legislature without a, a big full vote in you know at Queen's Park uh, but in theory uh, you know people who work for the government like the patient Ombudsman can be dismissed there are legal, protections, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Fraser's bill would change that, would make the patient ombudsman a a formal officer of the legislature, an independent officer. Uh, But of course, it's an opposition private members bill. Uh, These very, very rarely uh, become law. Uh, So it may go nowhere, uh, or it might come back. It might see the light of day if liberals form the next government. That kind of thing has happened before. Right.
1: Uh, any other thing that you want to put on our agenda that the MPPs got up to before they went home to their ridings for the summer?
0: Well, I, I do know that some MPPs uh, do listen to this podcast, and I, I think some of them would be irritated at us if I didn't at least mention that um, uh, one of the last votes in the last few weeks of uh, the session was to uh, extend the government's uh, sort of COVID emergency powers. Uh, The uh, legislature uh, was presented with a motion that extends the powers until uh, December 31st of this year. Uh, That is uh, basically, you know, it it extends orders that were already in place and it lets the government sort of tinker with those orders. Um, You know, in principle, the government could you know use that power very broadly? Uh, the government says this is just about managing the reopening process over the next several months. Uh, but certainly, some opposition MPPs said that you know this was a, a dramatic uh, extension of the power. You know, in theory, it lets the government make orders. Uh, you know, uh, abrogating certain labor rights, that kind of thing. Uh, so, the opposition opposed it. They are, of course in the minority. So the government won the vote. And uh, at least some of those powers could be still
1: being used until the end of December of this year. Good enough. There we go. All right. We always conclude this podcast with our favorite quotes of the week. And we will have those for you immediately after we ask you, as we always do, to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd sure like to know what you think about this little venture that we're up to here. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here now is my quote of the week, and we are going back to last week and the schools. Uh, there were questions from members of the media as to why the government has decided in its wisdom that there cannot be any more in-class education to the end of this school year, which, of course, ends in June. You're going to hear two voices here. The first, reporter Chris Roshoy, and then Premier Doug Ford with the answer. Why is it that other provinces can reopen schools but Ontario can't? Mm. Well, we're, we're really, when it comes to all the different provinces, there's no comparison uh, to any province in the entire country like Ontario. We're 15 million people. The closest is Quebec at eight and a half a million. But all the rest are one quarter of our size and probably one tenth uh, our size. They don't have 134,000 people, 134,000 people crossing uh, their land borders. They don't have 30, 40, 50,000 Flights coming in to the largest airport in Pearson. They don't have Buffalo Airport as their second international border. That thousands of people are flying into Buffalo, taking a taxi, walking across the border, which is unheard of. And again, implore the federal government to tighten up the borders. That's Premier Doug Ford last week on why the schools will not reopen until the fall. And my quote of the week
0: is from uh, Minister of Health and Deputy Premier Christine Elliott, uh, who was asked by uh, CTV's Colin DeMello about whether the government was going to announce uh, an earlier reopening on Monday morning. Uh, And Here's what she told uh, Colin on Monday. Is it going to be the 11th of June, Minister?
1: Well, I can tell you that that's something that we're we're looking at. We're still looking at the numbers, and the numbers are looking quite favorable. But uh, there's still other factors that we have to take into consideration. So that's something that we're going to be considering today, today in our uh, in our meetings with uh, with cabinet.
0: That was Minister of Health Christine Elliott, and. You know, I picked that clip in part because it's sort of newsy and also because then as the government announced the reopening, uh, reporters were given an embargoed copy of the press release and we stuck to the embargo and then a bunch of cabinet ministers didn't. And I found that really (laughs) funny on Monday (laughs) and it all sort of just played out there in public and sometimes that's fun to watch too. It's funny when reporters
1: stick to the rules and cabinet ministers don't, eh? Well, they get to make the
0: rules, I guess, so. (laughs) I guess,
1: I guess. Well, that was episode 115 of the On Poly podcast, produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara, editing from Donnie Swanson, who, like me, needs a haircut pretty badly. We also got production support from Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Halliwell. JMM, as my dad likes to stay, stay positive, test negative. Stay safe, Steve.